Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom with Locked On Sports Minnesota. On today's show, we analyze in depth the many angry faces of Aaron Rodgers. What's up? I'm Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings, and I was wrong, and I'm okay with it because the Vikings won. Hey, uh, this is Arif Hassan with The Athletic, and we'll be evaluating the many faces on my shirt. Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk, ready to get into the Vikings recap over the Packers, just like we all assumed they would cruise to victory. An hour of endless Vikings talk to come. It's the Minnesota Football Party. Locked on Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with the Athletics' Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. The Vikings are winners in week one. They take down the Green Bay Packers 23-7. to We are going to rehash it in depth with Next Level Vikings talk for the next 60 minutes. I'm Sam Ekstrom, your host, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Luke Inman of Superior Sports Talk, at Luke underscore Spinman. Dropping a Never Gonna Stop Us Now video on Twitter this morning. Luke Braun of Locked on Vikings, Locked on Vikings postcast with yours truly, at Luke Braun. NFL and Arif Hassan of The Athletic at Arif Hassan NFL. He was at the game yesterday sitting about three seats down from me uh, and got to observe it from a bird's eye view. Guys, there's so much to get into in this game. Let's go around the horn, though, real quickly and just get out our initial takes on this massive Minnesota Vikings win. Biggest observation, Luke Inman, kick us off. What did you see yesterday? Well, we knew what we were going to get with J.J. all over the field in that Cooper Cup role, and that was certainly the case from ESPN Stats Info on Twitter. I know Kevin Sievert posted J.J.'s snap count Sunday, 42 snaps on the outside, 12 in the slot, two in the backfield, and one lined up at tight end. You just can't make it up. So the men in motion pre-snap, thing of beauty, the window dressing was incredible, almost putting the defense in a trance sometimes, not knowing who's going where, who's got who, really puts so much stress on that defensive communication, snap in and snap out. It was so vanilla all preseason, no starters during training camp. They didn't really unleash a lot from the playbook. I was just so impressed with how Kevin O'Connell handled that first game as a head coach. Yeah, it was a really clean debut. There were only a couple of procedural penalties um, that seemed like they were just had trouble getting like on and off the sideline, which is to be expected first game for a new head coach. You're going to still have some kinks being worked out, less preseason than there used to be. But it was a much cleaner game than I expected. I thought we were going to see more of that. We saw a couple of coverage busts. I kind of thought we were going to see more of that. So the Vikings played a lot cleaner and are a lot further ahead than I thought they'd be, especially basically only using the two joint practices as a preseason. I was really impressed with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my primary takeaway was that I was correct about how they would use CJ Ham. 
every other takeaway is kind of tertiary to that observation. But uh, no, on top of that, I thought like how the defensive line played to me uh, was extraordinary. They got a little bit of help, right, by, uh, you know, through the coverage and through the fact that the Packers were injured along the offensive line. But I just thought, generally speaking, having that that front um, perform the way they did was was, uh, you know, an enormous sign of optimism for the season to come. Yeah, and leave a comment in the YouTube video below. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? I think mine is that when you can exit week one having shown that you can beat a Super Bowl contender in that fashion, and not only that, but you can make that Super Bowl contender feel as uncertain and as vulnerable as the Vikings made the Packers feel, you're in a pretty good spot. And it's a one-week-at-a-time league. Things can change drastically after this. Now, the Packers will play the Bears in all you know likelihood. The Bears will come back to earth. The Packers will be favored in that game. Vikings have a really tough game next week, and the narrative could totally flip. But you exit week one, having outplayed the Packers in all three phases, and Green Bay has many questions to answer. Aaron Rodgers does not have a safety net that secondary is already ticked off about the way that they were deployed and about the game plan against Justin Jefferson. And now the Vikings get to sit with this tiebreaker in their back pocket for 16 weeks. Uh, You couldn't ask for a better outcome for the Minnesota Vikings just in in the grand scheme of things in this division where it really is a two-team battle. When you are one of those two teams, you are here, you're on cloud nine after week one, and the Packers – are, uh, are sinking into their feelings today. Granted, they bounced back from a pretty bad week one loss last week, uh, last year, I should say, and they did all right with 13 wins. Um, once again, it's Locked On Sports Minnesota. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel or the podcast. Get all of our shows, Minnesota Football Party. So digging in a little more to the nitty-gritty of this game, Justin Jefferson, nine catches, 184 yards, The records are going down, fellas, at some point. I mean, Sammy White's record is held up for a long time, 210 yards, regular season single-game mark. That's going to go down someday. Anthony Carter's 227. That's going to go down someday. Uh, If they ever need to use Justin Jefferson, like against a bad secondary for full four quarters and not take their foot off the gas, uh, it's going to happen. Justin Jefferson, Luke Braun, your thoughts on his magnificent performance and what enabled it to happen? I think you have to give a ton of a ton of credit to O'Connell just straight up out coaching Joe Barry. Um, and that's what the secondary is mad about in in Green Bay. The the way and Justin Jefferson even said this in the locker room after the game, the way that they utilized motion and varied alignments was really hard for Green Bay to dictate the matchups the way that they wanted to um, compare that to like Zimmer would always allow the offense to dictate the matchups. They would play sides. Your corner is here. You put whoever, you know, here's Cam Dansel. You put whoever you want on him. Um, and the Packers played a zone, a more zone shell kind of defense, uh, similar to, to what we have here uh, now. And they didn't have Alexander, Jair Alexander shadow Justin Jefferson. And that meant that if you line up Justin Jefferson somewhere and then motion him away to the other side of the formation was really hard for Green Bay not to end up accidentally having Quay Walker one-on-one with Justin Jefferson. They had Preston Smith on him once. Um, That enabled him to really get open a lot. And then just his talent for 
finding holes in the zone on overs and searches. And then the chemistry that he has with Kirk Cousins, where Cousins knows where he's going and he knows where he's going and they're on the exact same page about that, meant that Cousins could deliver some beautiful balls. Uh, the one over Darnell Savage I thought was really nice. Really difficult catch, but it was good coverage. Um, if And even the wide open ones were good passes that can catch him in stride enough for him to go get more yards after the catch. And the, the touchdown in the one case, um, it was everything was very easy for Justin Jefferson, be it because of his own skill or because the Vikings as a whole did a really good job of setting him up to just explode. Arif, before you talk, can can we just pay off the tease and talk about the sweater? Uh, yeah, Tell sure. Let's talk about the sweater. The sweater. Well, there's not much of a story. I mean, my name is Arif, and that rhymes with wreath. And so uh, on my other podcast, the there you go. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> on my other podcast, uh, we, uh, we, we discussed merch. People decided that we needed a Christmas special piece of merch. And uh, I figured anytime the Vikings beat the Packers, it is Christmas. So, yeah, there is your Arif Arith sweater available at NorseCode.Threadless.com. Um, the, the other way this could have gone, s- though is you could have put your face on Riley Reap's body, sort of a Photoshop deal, and that would have also served Yeah, but how, how long is he, was he going to be on the team, right? It turns out not very long. Christmas wreaths are forever. So Four years. Uh, he was on the yeah. team for four so, years. Yeah, well, I didn't know that when we started off the – we had no idea, right? It's always dangerous to attach yourself to a player on a team. Um, if anybody could be so kind as to email me Luke Braun's address, I know nope. that he is too embarrassed to ask for Please do not. Uh, one of these one of these sweaters. And so uh, if somebody could just nope. kind of get it out of the way no, 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 and no, 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 overcome no, no. his embarrassment, nope. um, I would love to send a gift. I do not back. want this. I want it on the record that I do not want this. It's okay. Opening our, do not give my place. address to a You can admit it. It's okay. You're in the it's nest. It's a lawsuit okay. staring us I will not face feel here. safe. It's, don't don't worry about it. It's <laughs> Luke is just being a Minnesotan, and uh, and it's difficult for Minnesotans sometimes to accept gifts or compliments. Uh, so just do not Jefferson. give my address to the person who creatively threatens me almost daily. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so Justin Jefferson. <laughs> Uh, not only had a wonderful day, I thought that uh, Luke's right about kind of the ability to create matchups. Um, it actually did remind me a little bit of the way Sean McVay manipulated the Mike Zimmer defense back in, what was it, 2018? Um, where they would they would just find ways to line up like Robert Woods on Anthony Barr uh, and just kind of exploit the coverage rules that were in place that made it much more difficult for Anthony Barr to do his job well. Because Barr was having a really great year, um, but that is kind of the indelible memory burned into the the minds of Vikings fans about bar and, and coverage. It's because they were able to get all these great matchups. And so um, the ability to use motion and create matchups against Preston Smith, Quay Walker, um, finding him up against Eric Stokes, who didn't have a very good game, uh, putting up against the safeties, uh, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos. Uh, that's just a bad matchup. And just finding ways to you know, either force the Packers into quarters and attack those safeties or force the Packers in their kind of more unusual looks to put linebackers uh, over Justin Jefferson. That was a big part of it. And those linebacker looks were, you know, eight, nine yard chunks. They were not like enormous big gains because otherwise the safety would have picked them up. Um, but it was just, you know, a free nine yards. Like, why wouldn't you go after it? So I thought that that was good. One thing that kind of stood out to me was after the game, 
Kevin O'Connell talked about every other player on the offense is just kind of being there to enable Justin Jefferson, right? It's like, ah, yeah, they're nice complimentary mm-hmm. pieces. You know, you'll throw them the ball sometimes in between Justin Jefferson targets. Like you're marking time as if it's just a highlight. Thanks, Matt. Uh, just a highlight of Justin <laughs> Jefferson plays and then everything else in between is like filler or B plot. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought you that know, was just touching too. on that. Uh, again, all that pre-snap motion defensively, just think about it in the heat of the moment, face of the fire, all those guys are running on off the field, subbing in and out so tough to keep all 11 guys on the same page, every single snap. So again, just a tremendous game plan by KOC and Jair Alexander Braun touched on it. He stayed uh, politically correct, as we should say, uh, you know, in the post-game locker press conference. But I mean, he was PO'd, man. I mean, he was not happy and he wanted to be shadowing JJ all game long. Now the big question is moving forward after what you just put on tape for the rest of the NFL to seeing game plan against now what's the chess match look like moving forward? You know Thielen and KJ are going to get more involved along with Irv. He continues to get his legs back. I think he played 19 snaps. Uh, and even Dalvin in the passing game too. Try to balance this entire unit out for opposing defenses. Really interested now to see how Philly game plans against JJ and just tries to limit the number of open looks he'll get. Got to think they're going to do everything they can to try to take him out of the game now after that performance we just saw. I want to remind people that BetOnline.net is your number one source for all pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. It's not just pro and college football. It's MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, live betting, and esports resources there as well. I was just peeking at the early line for Vikings-Eagles on Monday. It is Eagles favored by two with an over-under of 52. Expecting a shootout. That's uh, that's going to be fun if that actually comes to fruition. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online. Where the game starts. So you, you exit the game feeling pretty darn good about Jefferson and feeling pretty darn good about Kirk Cousins as well with what he was able to produce. And I think the, the question that I'm asking myself is, did Kirk actually shatter any narratives in this game? Like, is this Kirk any different than past Kirks? And I, I think the answer is still no. And that's okay. It was a really efficient performance. He made the throws he needed to make. Um, but then I looked at next gen this morning. Kirk Cousins, third lowest air yards of the week, or intended air yards, I should say. Um, fourth lowest air yards to the sticks. Sixth lowest aggressiveness percentage. And when he did go downfield, he went downfield generally because Justin Jefferson was wide open with like 10 yards of separation. The only quote-unquote risky throw I can recall was the the fourth quarter throw kind of a YOLO ball where Justin Jefferson went up high and got it for 21 yards I'm not sure Kirk was any different in this game but I think the play calling was different and it was better and it was more creative and that's probably the path for this team that Kevin O'Connell is the difference and they've said they don't expect major strides from Kirk Kirk has said I don't expect anything different from myself So I think we saw that manifested. We saw that the difference between maybe a a pretty disappointing offensive performance and a nice workmanlike 23 points on the board and a comfortable win, Kevin O'Connell was a difference maker in that game. Would you agree with that, Arif? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, with entirely everything you said, I recall a number of times where Adam Thielen was deep downfield, he was wide open, and there was no target. In fact, Kirk seemed to be 
reading high to low, like Wes Phillips had described the offense, which you know, most offenses are high to low, but it's kind of interesting that that Wes described that as, as, as a bit of a change for Kirk. And um, we saw, you know, Thielen's wide open on a corner route. Now, sometimes, you know, a receiver 20, 30 yards downfield can look open. By the time the ball arrives, it'll be a contested catch. But, you know, Kirk has made those throws before. In fact, the corner route isn't his best throw. Uh, and so I was really surprised that, you know, he didn't take some of those open shots downfield. Um, and so it does seem like we've got a fairly similar Kirk Cousins that he'd much rather take, you know, an easier check down. I remember seeing the the average depth of the target after the game was over uh, and, and seeing, you know, like what you said, Sam, that it was just not all that much deep downfield stuff that was very kind of shallow. And a lot of that had, doesn't have to do with design, right? Because, yeah, there's a couple of screens here. There's a couple of, you know, short uh, overall routes here. But, you know, that was a decision that Kirk made. It's all he needed to do in this game. But there's nothing that we've seen that tells us that he's going to change. Now, mind you, he wasn't tested in some of the ways that we want to see him tested. You know, he didn't have to perform in, uh, you know, a fourth quarter, two-minute drill or anything like that. And so, um, you know, that's a blessing, right? Because, you know, having fewer of those because you're winning is always going to be good. But at some point during the season, that's going to come up. And uh, we'll, we're going to want to see, you know, Cousins execute in a two-minute drill when, you know, the chips are down, they're down by like six points, they need a touchdown to win. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we saw a different Kirk, but I think that we saw ways to enable players like Justin Jefferson get wide open. Dalvin Cook's always had trouble against the Packers, so I'm not going to read too much into to Cook's performance here. But, um, yeah, Whoa, I mean... Wait, with, he has? He has? Well, I mean, the past the past three or four games, he's had like, what, 60 yards? He scored... This, this game okay, was like well, his he highest in like four, four games. scored four touchdowns against them in 2020 to beat them he had like a hundred and some what 80 yards in 2019 but maybe like recency it's it's been a struggle yeah it's probably just a I just, recency thing in 2021 he i had just like can't four yards yeah okay fair enough i just yeah. i feel like i kind of boxed you in there on something and you're a refasan so usually i don't have i don't have that like yeah, you got stand me. on but yeah, yeah i got you man uh, um nailed <laughs> you. but yeah i'm not gonna read too much into his performance 90 yards some something similar to four yards carry it wasn't that big deal um, I'm I'm excited to see what Cook will do against different fronts going forward. I yeah, feel like Cousins I mean, is always have... so streaky. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Like that's part of it too. Like if this is truly a a better Cousins game, and I think what you guys said, like yeah, there might be some hidden stuff that isn't as uh isn't as good as it looked on the surface for you know from the TV side. Um, but even if it is the whole deal with Kirk Cousins is that can he do it 17 times in a season and keep that up? And so like for the original question, like, is this a new Kirk Cousins? I don't know. Ask me when he's done this five, six weeks in a row. And you know, the, if the offense remains that explosive, then yeah. But part of the issue is that consistency. Yeah. Not much to add there with Kirk. Uh, I think you all kind of hit the, the nail on the head. It's, it's, he kind of lulls you to sleep, I guess, with a clean pocket. He's just so accurate. But as far as changing any of the narratives, I mean, Sammy ripped out some, I mean, those were pretty weak next-gen stats. He, you know, aggressive to conservative scale. The needle always starts to lean a little bit more towards conservatives. Um, and I think Luke's right. You got to see consistently. Arif's right. You got to see the two-minute drive at the end of the game with the bright lights. Monday night will be a great test, litmus test against that Eagles defense. Um, but KOC ultimately, I think, was the X factor Sunday. He just 
He looked prepared for the big stage. The moment wasn't too big. I think he got the game ball from Kirk Cousins in the locker room. I know he was just the fifth coach in Vikings history to win his debut. And I, I think going in, we all kind of had our own set expectations what to expect from him as a whole in 2022. But I don't think any of us knew exactly what we were going to get in his very first game, especially against the Packers. So many different variables at play, tough opponent to manage against all off season. Again, we didn't really get to peek into the playbook too much. So I think it was just really hard for all of us to predict what we were going to get from him Sunday. We know there's no easy games in the NFL. KOC just, I thought he looked prepared and even keeled comes out, opens the 2022 season with two passes to the tight end, Johnny Munt, just like we all predicted and assumed, right? Ben Ellison was even <laughs> in the action. C.J. Ham, uh, first down on the fullback screen. Just all in all, just as a whole, really impressed with how just diverse and balanced this offense was. 126 rushing yards, I think seven first downs on the ground. Even with J.J. Steele in the show, uh, the offense I, I just thought was very well balanced from KOC. Guest of honor, Dane Mizutani joins us in about five minutes. Um, and maybe we'll talk about the defense more so with Dane. I have one more offensive talker that I think is a little curious. The Irv Smith Jr. role. I think we expected Irv to play more. He played 19 snaps. Johnny Munt was your tight end one. Um, and I think there's every reason to believe that the Vikings held Irv Smith back for, I don't know, conditioning or maybe not giving, getting enough reps. And if Kevin O'Connell had gone with that post-game and said, yep, we're just easing him in, nobody bats an eye. But I believe it was Will Raggett's asked, you know, why, why did Irv play as little as he did? Was it because he was being held back? And KOC basically said no. He said no, we just had a lot of 21 and 11 personnel sets, which implies that Irv Smith right. is not tight end one, which is bizarre to me and that Johnny Munt is your tight end one. And I don't think that's true. And maybe KOC just got a little flustered answering the question or answered just didn't think about his words very carefully or what was being asked. But I thought that was a weird response to a fairly cut-and-dried answer. Um, so are, like, is there any concern level about Irv Smith, you know, not only not playing very much, but not really doing much with the snaps he did play? Uh, Luke Braun. There's probably a little concern if it keeps up. But I, I do want to see what happens when he gets a little bit more up to speed. Didn't have a whole camp. He hasn't been up at, you know, game speed since uh, 2020, really. Um, he's only been mm -hmm. doing offseason programs, and it's been limited at that. So, like, that's a reasonable excuse. But, yeah, when I heard that, my ears perked up. Although, I don't know. You really think someone would go up on the podium and say lies? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll actions speak louder than words, you know? Yeah. So we'll, well see he, what happens. He also when he's said not to read into snap counts. Speed. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he basically opened the presser with, with that. Yeah. Yeah. I will yeah. say this too. It's not a bad thing to have a few, you know, trump cards in your back pocket. So like Kenny Wangwu was, was not used at all. But I could see him like having a game where he just is a huge part of the game plan. And the same with Herb Smith. Like Herb Smith could be deployed in a much different role against Philadelphia. And I guess if, if I'm okay with a custom game plan, Luke Inman, every week, like based on your opponent, if you're going to use guys differently to fit your strengths that week, I'm okay with that style of coaching. Whereas I feel like in the past you kind of had your guys and you had their roles and you weren't really going to gonna fluctuate much from that. And this coaching staff might be just a little more adaptable when it comes to how guys are being used. 
Oh, absolutely. No, 100% agree with you. I think, uh, you know, the best coaches do adapt to their current opponent week in, week out. The NFL is all about finding that one mismatch out on the field at any given time, any given play. And you don't want to show all your cards in the week one in the home opener, right? So, um, you know, whether it be Irv Smith or, again, starting to see a little bit more, you know, K.J. Osborne. I'm sure we'll, we'll sprinkle in some Jalen Rager here in a little bit, a couple weeks down the road. Um, you know, I think this was a good game plan to open up. And you want to force, you know, these defenses uh, uh, to – they're not going to switch it up until they can prove that they can stop it. All week leading into this game, I said, well, if I was the Packers, I'm just going to run the ball down the Vikings throat until they prove to me that they can stop the run. And I think vice versa, that's what KOC did with Justin Jefferson on the other side of the ball. Um, and, and until teams can you know, prove and go out there and show that they can consistently find ways to cover him and, and at least contain him, um, you're probably going to see a lot more JJ until you know, proven otherwise. Dane Mizutani around the corner. Uh, we're also going to do a four-minute drill where we talk about our favorite thing from KOC in this game. Um, let's get started on the defensive conversation. Your most favorite thing, Arif Hassan, that you saw from the defense yesterday. You've got one. You can pick one thing. Uh, it's pass rush athleticism, the health of uh, Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith, and the burst that they showed coming off of the edge. Uh, to disrupt the pocket, create a couple of sacks. I thought that was really fun. Let's bring Dane Mizutani into this conversation because I know he'll have takes on, on the defense as well as the special teams because Dane has, and I think we all do, have a little bit of a man crush on Matt Daniels, the special teams coordinator. Dane Mizutani joining us now. Dane, let me just give you the floor for a minute to talk about the special teams yesterday because I know you were pretty fired up about uh, our guy Matt Daniels, and uh, I thought they were going to block a punt. They came so close. They came close like two or three times. And, uh, I mean, with the intensity that Matt Daniels shows on a, a weekly basis, I think it's only a matter of time before they get they get a hold of one. Uh, but as a, as a whole, the unit was really good. I thought Ryan Wright had a really good first kind of cameo as, as the starting punter. And obviously we've talked a lot about Greg Joseph throughout training camp. His, his 56 yarder, you know, ties a record, which, which my colleague, Chris Thomason was very, very keen to, to recognize over and over again. Uh, but he's, he's going to have a good year. I think you can tell that unit as a whole looked pretty sharp yesterday. I was just going to get Dane's uh, number one takeaway from the defense yesterday. Kind of your, the, the favorite thing that stood out to you. I think I, I heard before I logged on, um, Arif talk about the edge rushers, and it's got to be that. Like, I think two solid edge rushers can really put a Band-Aid on a lot of weaknesses for any defense, and you saw that. I don't know how much we learned about the run defense yesterday. I don't know how much we learned about the secondary yesterday, but I think we learned that the edge rushers are going to be good this year, assuming they stay healthy. And even if you just have those two guys um, with a couple of guys rotating in, I think that might be enough to – to take this defense from, frankly, really, really bad, uh, you know, maybe above average. Hey, Dane, you know, all offseason heading in, the talk of the town was KOC's offensive explosion. And on the other side of that coin, it was when you looked at all 22 starters, you knew the weakest point was the center position and how vital and pivotal that is for Kirk Cousins just to have that clean pocket to step up into. What did you think about the performance of the offensive line as a whole? And then specifically Bradbury and rookie Ed Ingram, who made his first debut start. Yeah, I thought it was touch and go a little bit at, at times early. I thought we saw Ed Ingram really struggle with, with Kenny Clark early in the game. And 
that's to be expected. It's it's Kenny Clark, one of the best in the league, going against a kid, frankly, playing in his first game against real NFL players, having just basically played against second and third stringers throughout the preseason. So I think early on, it maybe conjured up memories of, of the past seasons where is this interior line just going to blow everything up? Is the offense not going to be able to function because Kirk has no time? Uh, I think as the game progressed, you saw the pockets open up. I think Kirk did a good job navigating the pocket. Uh, I think everyone has kind of talked about the the 64-yard pass and how he bought that extra second by stepping up. And it seems like such a simple thing for an NFL quarterback to do, uh, but he he hadn't done it a lot throughout his tenure with the Vikings, Kirk Cousins I'm talking about. Um, I think the pocket itself was pretty clean, and I think, as a whole, that, that is a testament to guys like Garrett Bradbury, Ed Ingram, Ezra Cleveland at the left guard spot, uh, stepping up and playing well. Uh, we'll see how, how this kind of transpires over the course of a full season, but I think early returns are better than last year, which, which is a great improvement. Dane, what's the most irresponsible thing you're willing to extrapolate from this game? Jefferson's going to go for 3,000 yards. Screw 2,000. He's going. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, but I, all jokes aside, I mean, he, He's got. I, I think it's maybe a little irresponsible to ears to, to extrapolate that he's going to go for two to become the first receiver to do it in NFL history. I'm close to going there. Uh, I think if he's doing it, it's him. If there's an offense that's designed to make a playmaker like him get to that nut big number, I think it's it's this offense with KOC running the show. Uh, tremendous game yesterday. I don't think we can talk enough about Justin Jefferson. It's going to be like the home run race in 98 between McGuire and Sosa. Like It's going to be like Cup and Jefferson going back and forth trying to get to 2,000 to see who gets there first. It, can we learn anything from this first game? I mean, we know the Packers have come out weak in week one for three consecutive years. It's kind of difficult to, to pin anything on this Packers team. Um, what is it about the Vikings that we can confidently say about their level of quality after one week, knowing that the NFL always lives in, in small sample sizes? Yeah, I think we can confidently say this team has some joy again. I think that's maybe the one thing we can take away firmly from from week one. Uh, I don't think Justin Jefferson's necessarily going to go nuclear every week. I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to look so comfortable in the pocket every single week. I'm not sure Zadarius Smith and, and Daniel Hunter are going to wreak havoc on the opposing quarterback every single week. But I know last by the, the the 2021 season, the team, frankly, looked like they hated being there. I think there was just watching the team was, was joyless. And I think right now we can take away and firmly say, like, they're going to be fun. Like, they're going to be fun to, to tune into. I think the team itself is going to have a little bit more joy when they come to the practice facility or the field or wherever what a opposing stadium they're in on, on game day. There's a FedEx truck driving by in the background. Um, and I just think overall, like, that might be enough, like, is that enough to be a Super Bowl contender? I don't know. But if, if this team is fun to watch for 17 weeks, uh, heck, that, that's something I think we'll, we'd all take. All right, let's nitpick a little bit. This has been way too positive for my taste. I think we need to, to be realistic about some stuff we didn't like. So I'll start. I didn't like – I like that he went for it on fourth and one. I didn't like that they didn't challenge – the the Thielen spot because I think they could have had a first down there and it seems like a big moment to like either you know maybe not score at all to having a first and goal I thought that was a little questionable um 
and I didn't like not going forward on fourth and two inside the 10. Those are, are my two nitpicks on this game. Dane, what about you? I was just going to steal your fourth and two because I think, like, everyone praised Kevin O'Connell for going for it on fourth and one, and, you know, rightfully so. It was a, it was a great action with, with motioning Justin Jefferson pre-snap and getting him open, a walk-in touchdown. But a lot of teams go for it on fourth and one right there in that position. I think going for it on fourth and two, I texted my colleague, Jace Frederick, when he when they decided to kick that field goal. I said, Kevin O'Connell had a chance to make me fall in love right there, and he failed. You know, fourth and two, I think if he would have gone for it, it would have signaled, you know, a complete jump to, like, a new era. Like, wow, like, this is, you know, he's playing the percentages. He's also trusting his gut, going for it there. I am a fan of pretty much always going for it on fourth down, like when you're within the 40-yard line, you know, in plus territory. So that was a disappointing thing there, but I, I get it. Like, you know, you're to your first game. You're trying to, like, manage the, the expectations, and that, that, that field goal put them up 10-0. But, uh, you know, we're on the same wavelength there, Sam. I, I, I would have loved to see a little more aggression um, as, as far as, you know, when to go and when to, to stay on fourth down. Other nitpicks, guys? Uh, Arif Hassan, I know you're sitting on one. <laughs> you know me so well. Um, no, I mean, aside from the stuff that we discussed earlier about Kirk declining some deep options for non-Jefferson receivers, why we're on those rats if you're never going to throw them, um, I think, like, defensively, I want to see more from that secondary. Obviously, Harrison Smith gets a bit of a pass, um, and he did well not just on that pick but uh, on a number of other players. But I am a little bit worried about, you know, what Patrick Peterson can do, what Cameron Dancer can do. They weren't tested by a remarkably good receiving core. And what I was able to see, you know, obviously Kevin O'Connell had, you know, a lot of praise for the coverage because of how the coverage helped enable the pass rush. But, you know, I, I think that it just so happened that the shells they were in were shells that these receivers were not, you know, particularly capable uh, of penetrating. And I think when you go up against good receivers, it's going to be much more difficult for, for Patrick Peterson, Cameron Dancer, and in particular, Chandon Sullivan. And I think that what we saw in the game showed us that there are some cracks in that armor. That secondary has a lot of questions, and they just happen to not have to answer them in this game. I thought that based off of, you know, taking a look down on the field and watching the play play out, I think you'll find this on the All-22, that there were a lot of opportunities that Rodgers just couldn't take advantage of. So I'm really worried about that secondary. No, I'm with Arif. I was going to say cornerbacks as well. And you saw at the first play of the Packers opening series, Christian Watson blows pass by Patrick Peterson. Should have been a 75-yard touchdown after that. Things were never really the same for the Packers, but you assume more times than not that that's going to go for seven points and that game is going to look completely different. So we all kind of held our breath all offseason. What Patrick Peterson are we going to get? We're going to assume that he's still a tick slower even from last year. And if he's your number one corner, again, your, your, your secondary is only going to be as good as your number one corner. Feels like, again, he's just kind of average right now at best at this point in his career. Cam Dantzler, like Arif said, maybe wasn't tested a ton. But then you start to get into depth because in the NFL, we know you got to have three, if not four, good cornerbacks. Andrew Booth Jr., how long is he going to be out? Are they going to have to rely on a Caleb Evans? Maybe it's Lewis Seen who jumps into that second safety spot and they move Cam Bynum into a cornerback, maybe inside nickel cornerback role situation. I thought Chandon Sullivan did all right, um, considering when he was tested and how little he, I guess I should say, he was tested. But um, all in all, the secondary, if anything, if we're getting nitpicky, Sam, uh, the secondary concerns me just a little bit. Cornerback specifically, though. Dane, in closing, how bad does the NFC look right now? And how much better does that make the Vikings' path to uh, a playoff run look? after Just after week one, overreacting a bit, but just 
the the NFC West and the the Cowboys looking terrible, losing Dak. The South not exactly flexing its muscles either. Uh, this conference is absolutely there for the taking. I did kind of a breakdown of the schedule just before the the year started, and it, it looked like. You know, that Dallas game, I kind of picked a loss for the Vikings. Who knows now? It's just like you look at the schedule game by game and then how weak the NFC looked. Um, I, I think it's not an overreaction to say the Vikings were the best-looking team in the NFC this week. The Tampa in the NFC that played yesterday was pretty unremarkable, um, and Green Bay obviously included. Um, and if that's going to be the case all season, the NFC is wide open. Dane Mizutani, Pioneer Press, at Dane Mizutani on Twitter. And make sure you're subscribed as well to Locked On Sports Minnesota for the Ron Johnson Show, Superior Sports Talk, the Minnesota Football Party, and our postcasts after every single Twins, Vikings, Wolves, and Wild game with our team insiders. Subscribe on YouTube. Get all of our videos, like, and comment as well. Let us know what to think about yesterday's game. It's time for the four-minute drill. I'm asking you guys for like a lot of bests, superlatives. What was the best thing that happened yesterday? And in this case, in the four-minute drill, I want you to tell me the best thing you saw from Kevin O'Connell. You get one minute to plead your case. We'll go around the horn for a total of four minutes, and we'll start with Luke Inman. Yeah, just kind of reiterating what I already touched on before. The pre-snap motion, the window dressing, I thought was phenomenal, but... You got to consider, too, again, just the big stage, his first game ever as an NFL head coach. A lot of pressure, a lot of different variables going on, opening the the season against the border rival Packers. I just thought, you know, he looked prepared. The moment wasn't too big. Again, I mentioned Kirk got him the, the uh, game ball in the locker room, fifth coach in Vikings history to win their opener in franchise history. And, you know, again, we just didn't know what we were going to get. I think we kind of all had an idea heading into 2022, but week one, we kind of all put our hands up in the air and shrugged and said, well, I, I would assume it'd be this, a lot of 11 personnel, get JJ the ball, try to have a good, it was a good balanced, well-rounded attack on offense. Dalvin didn't bust out and break that long one, but I thought Madison was a good change of pace. They had seven first downs on the ground. Madison looked really good as far as just the change of pace, the style of running from Dalvin again he got some tight ends involved as well and that's a minute yeah uh what I really liked I think was uh the flexibility kind of touching actually on Luke's point about you know not necessarily always coming out in 11 personnel not looking like the the 2021 Rams offense from a personnel standpoint a play design standpoint um you know formation standpoint willing to put in you know, a fullback, right? Willing to play in 21 personnel, willing to play in 11 personnel, willing to play in 12 personnel, willing to adapt that offense, not just to what the Vikings were doing, but what to what the Packers had available to them. I think taking advantage of the fact that you've got, you know, a deep roster and certain elements of your team that'll allow you to play matchups against other teams, knowing that another team might not be good um, to, to put out an extra linebacker or an extra defensive lineman and taking advantage of that, knowing that a team might not be good to put out a nickel corner and trying to take advantage of that. So to me, I think it was uh, the flexibility he demonstrated by not just going 11 personnel every single snap, even though I personally would have loved to see more wide receivers on the field. And you left three seconds for me. It was 67%, I think, uh, 11 personnel percentage. A little bit below Rams level last year. Luke Braun. 
Yeah, kind of building off of a Reefs. I, I think one of the best things he did in this game was not show every card. Beating up a good team like the Packers usually should take everything you kind of have, but they really just did the Jeff the Justin Jefferson game plan, and that's a great game plan, and that can probably work in other games, but there are going to be games where maybe you don't think it's the best one and you have to come out with something else, and whatever team that is, they don't get to see what Kevin O'Connell's plan for them is. Um, they could use more 12 personnel. They could do a more physical game plan with more uh, straight up and down running. There's a lot of other ways that the Vikings could approach a game. They have the talent to do it and they didn't have to show it against the Packers because Jefferson could just sort of beat them by himself with everybody else playing a supporting role, like we said. Uh, and that means that through as the season wears on, you're not going to be, you know, out of ammo right away. You have some other cards to play. Yeah, well stated there, Luke. I think my favorite thing was the opening script. Uh, I love how it set the tone. I love the run-pass balance. Eight passes, two runs. You passed to set up the run, fellas, and the Vikings passed early yesterday, and I felt like it legitimately opened things up for Dalvin Cook later in the game. Uh, I like that they went to the most unassuming offensive weapon on that roster in Johnny Munt for two catches on that drive. Uh, they used some play action. They used some motion, including what I saw someone deem the gold rush concept on the fourth and one touchdown where they had Thielen motion to the near side, and then he had attracted some attention over there. They brought Jefferson behind him in motion at the snap. He makes the easy catch for the touchdown. Uh, I, I just thought it was a masterful uh, display of play calling and poise and decision-making. I love the opening script, 10 plays, touchdown, setting the tone for the season. Uh, Kevin O'Connell off and running. Plenty to like about what KOC did. And then, and then Adam Thielen saying after the game, he's never been in an offense that was constantly attacking and attacking and attacking. Subtweet Clint Kubiak. Um, getting more and more into the weeds of this game, let's rank the, the three most impactful plays yesterday, the turning points, if you will. Um, and I think you go in a lot of different directions, and not the least of which the drop touchdown by Christian Watson. Luke talked about it yesterday. I mean, think of the butterfly effect. If that play gets completed, does it change not only the game flow, but does it change Aaron Rodgers' confidence to th go back to those wide receivers? Because it, it seemed like, just out of principle, Rodgers was boycotting his wide receivers for like two drives after that. He would only throw to tight ends and running backs in the flat. So I would, I would easily put that play in the top three yesterday just based on, I mean, think of the expected points swing with that drop versus if that's completed. No, I'm with you. I think that's the A topic. I think that's the number one play. I think you're right. Roger's body language, the uh, the death stares to the sideline to LaFleur were killing me. I mean, just after that, <laughs> it just never seemed to get going. And I think that really would have uh, changed the game by far the most. Uh, what do we got up here? Aaron Rodgers giving Justin Jefferson his flowers. Yeah, best player in the game today. Rodgers came out and said afterwards. Um, that's number one. Jealousy. I think the goal land goal line stand was number two um and then you number three you could go a bevy of different way you go the harrison smith interception justin jefferson long touchdown uh would probably be both be up there for you know 3a 3b something like that but without a doubt i think christian watson pulls that down first play of the packers opening series uh the the rest of the game flow from there on out is completely different 
Um, I think it's hard to beat that Christian Watson one just because there was so it was the first play of the game, right? There was so much uh, left of the game uh, to, to happen that, you know, how that would have changed things, I think would have changed the tenor of the game, um, whether or not there would be a pallor over the building, right? It would have an impact on how the home field crowd would have responded, which if you're a crowd noise guy, you know, I think that that sounds like pretty important. Um, but, you know, you know, the fourth and goal, I think, is is, is up there both uh, on the Vikings side offensively and the Vikings side defensively uh, in terms of their ability to, you know, prevent that touchdown. Um, but to me, I'm going to pick probably the most fun one instead of probably the most important one in terms of the impact it has on the rest of the yes. game. It's that 36 yard yes. touchdown for Jefferson, right? <laughs> like, like I, just like the how casual it was for him to get those final six yards, right, to to to, to just dance it in after he could have just gone out. Like, I mean, Kirk did say right after the game, like, yeah, you know, a lot of players, you know, uh, would go out at the three or the one, not because, you know, they're lazy or anything like that, but because, you know, you've basically set up what you need to set up and it's really hard to get the body control you need to do what he, I mean, it looks so casual to him to get that touchdown. And I know given the angles that he was working with, given how close that sideline was, you know, just players don't do that. That is like video game NCAA like BS, right? That like really ticks you off. Um, it was incredible the way that he had gotten those final six yards or whatever to get that touchdown. It looked like it was nothing to him, but it required extraordinary amounts of body control. It required extraordinary amounts of athleticism. And it was just really just fun to see. It was my favorite play of the game. Yeah, Sam Darnold seeing quote. ghosts out there. He turned around and he was expecting, you know, one, two, maybe maybe even more <laughs> defenders there. And he's like, well, he'll probably never see that again. But, yeah, that was outstanding. Glad you called that one out. Yeah, I posted the the quote that Kirk had about that play on uh, Locked on Sports Minnesota YouTube on the shorts. It's, uh, it's a really good quote because Kirk goes back to Jefferson's first touchdown and says it looked a lot like that with the way he finished hmm. the play. Um, I, I, w- I thought you were going to go this direction, Arif for the most fun play, it's when Ryan Wright took a guy's soul and straight-up karate-kitted him and Mortal drew a penalty or... on the play. How good was that? That's true. That was funny. That was – I mean, <laughs> when, when you've got that much size to work with, why not? <laughs> Drop kicked a guy. It's only punters can get away with it, and it's beautiful. <laughs> you better find a safe house, Ryan Wright. I mean, that, uh, I'm that gonna is go a foot with... that can kick the ball 60 yards, and he just, like, kicked yeah. the guy's, like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Got a flag on wrong. him. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to go with the Christian Watson one uh, because they still converted that series, and they almost scored a touchdown. I'm going to – for me, the number one is the goal line stand because I do think that game feels a lot different if that Christian Watson drop happens, and then they go back to the sideline, and they go, it's okay, we scored a touchdown anyways. But they didn't. Um that feels like the most meaningful thing to me. And then number two is the the 36-yard Jefferson touchdown. Um, just felt like a total punch to the gut and just cemented like, no, there's one team here that is ready to play and there's one team here that isn't. And then for the third one, I'm going to bring up a new play. Um, if you remember a sequence, there was a coverage bust on second and 19. I believe there was a big sack and they were, it was second and 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, miscommunication between Patrick Peterson and Shannon Sullivan, a big completion, I believe, to Romeo Dobbs for a yes, first down, immediately getting them out of that hole. Yeah, and it felt like, oh, no, here it comes. The Aaron Rodgers comeback. We know he can do this. And then four-yard completion, run for no gain, and then I'm going to go with the third and six sack. 
I think it was the DJ Wanham sack, the the cleanup sack, but that had just about everybody get involved with it in some way. Daniel Hunter got the initial pressure. Dalvin Tomlinson and Zadarius Smith both choked off escape lanes, and then the escape actually came, but DJ Wanham was playing fast enough to chase down Aaron Rodgers at this age. That felt like the moment, okay, now they're punting. This could have been the collapse, and they pulled it back. That was huge to me. Yeah, that's a good one. The play before the goal line stand, you got A.J. Dillon kind of wrapped up, but you see the momentum, oh, yeah. such a big dude falling yeah. forward. Harrison Smith comes from the other side of the field, the hustle to get there, and then the physicality to just stop him in his tracks right there. I mean, that's a, a touchdown-saving tackle right there. But, yeah, a lot of fun to see. Yeah, I guess you're right. After we call them all out, there, there was quite a few plays here to go through. That A.J. Dillon one, Zadarius Smith had figured out it was going to be a screen and uh, still couldn't do anything about it. Like, he clearly determined yeah. it was a screen, had already turned his body before the ball was thrown, tried to get to Dillon, couldn't get there in time. Um, so to mm -hmm. have Harrison Smith kind of follow up on that and stop uh, Dillon in his tracks was huge. I, I know Jordan Hicks had a pretty big game, at least statistically, and he had the huge sack on Rodgers. But watching him try to change directions on that, that pass yeah. um, was painful. Because he had, he should have had him pinned against the sideline about the five, and then of you know Dylan cuts it back, gets to the goal line, and Smith contorting his body on that tackle, um, Harrison Smith I should say, just like bending Dylan into like ew, it, it like a bendy straw. It like made me cringe at like the way that he got twisted there. Turned out to be huge. Turned out to be enormous yeah. with the goal line stand after that. H H and then Hicks I led the team in tackles, but uh, was was pretty unfortunate, I think, in coverage. I thought he was really he, good he against was. the run. Agreed. He had something like five stops in the run they game or something crazy him. like that. But yeah. he was out of sorts. Stuff was, yeah. Yeah, in coverage. Yep, yep. Hot and then take. the goal line stand, who was it? Was it Zadarius who crashed down? But Phillips, mm -hmm. who split that double team in the middle, kind of set the whole thing up. Uh, that was impressive as well. Well, it's, it's not like was that was supposed to be a read option hero. in that, and that Rodgers was supposed to pull. Mm. Right. No. Yeah. And no, he would have said in. after the game, would have walked in. Play play call was a Roger, run. Rodgers said Rogers, it was the right move. Rodgers said that I should have pulled, but it would have been okay. me freelancing. He, oh, he so it wasn't a read option. Oh, I see. Okay. No. So it wasn't an option, but he, but he just he knew Zadarius crashed down so hard that he should have pulled that. Got it. Yep. Rod, yeah, Rodgers was pretty honest about the game about a lot of stuff, but including that play call is pretty interesting to, to, to see his um, acknowledgement of that. Um, you want to hear my hot take one topic ago, talking yeah, about Jordan Hicks? obviously, for sure. Brian Asamoah replaces him before the end of the season. I was going to say wow. that too. I could see it. Wow. I, could, I mean, I, the, I, there I was still a big don't think Asamoah was a good pick, but, but Hicks was an issue. The, the there was a big problem with him not being able to get to the flat fast enough. They just would get mm -hmm. a play action fake. You take your two steps to the run fit and then you got to get out to the flat and Aaron Jones is just faster than you. And a lot of teams have a back that can do that. And a lot of teams just saw that and are going to attack the same way. I think the Vikings are going to have a problem in the flats this year. And I think maybe defensively, that's just something that they take in exchange for having better coverage versus deep and explosive plays and stuff. Maybe they're just okay with that. But mm -hmm. if awesome, whenever Asamoa is, ready to know where he's supposed to run and have a little bit more consistency and gap integrity and all that stuff. Yeah. I think he replaces Jordan Hicks. I was going to say before the end of the contract. So maybe not like next year, but honestly, if he's playing by December, I, I wouldn't, my jaw wouldn't hit the floor. 
Yeah, no, it's tough to argue with that. I think when he was brought in and drafted, we all thought, okay, can Donatel kind of find a little wrinkle or sub package for him on nickel downs, passing downs? Just makes even more sense now seeing Hicks struggle in those passing situations. And then more so excel, you know, his one strength that he still has maybe is tackling. So you see over the next few weeks or middle of the season, later in the season, the transition being Hicks on first, maybe second down and Osamoa a lot in those obvious passing situations. But yeah, that, that's, that wouldn't shock me either. That's a good call. Yeah, I don't know if they trade Hicks like Gerald Hodges style when Eric Kendricks came up, but uh, I could definitely see Osamoa getting more and more time. Let's quickly visit our bets. Remember the contest we started last Thursday. We get a $1,000 mythical bankroll. Uh, Max bet $100 in week one. We each made a pick against the spread and an over-under, and it did not go great. Um, Arif, you got the first pick, and therefore you got the win on the Ravens. We all wanted that Ravens game. You got it, and you got the win. You lost on Eagles-Lions under, and boy, did you ever lose. You should lose extra money for how far off. Yeah, you lost. I I wouldn't say that. I just (laughs) (laughs) Take all his money. Luke Braun, 0-2. And uh, time to give you some grief. You bet on the Packers. Full 100. Yep. Get my ass. Yep. Reverse jinx, though. You got us the Vikings W. So, I mean, that's the move. That was huge. Yep. It was an emotional hedge. not checkers. It's not the first time I've reverse jinxed the Vikings into something good. I love it. Sure. Sure. Inman. You almost went 2-0 if if the Jags had hung on there. But Carson Wentz is just undeniable down the stretch. Yeah, Wentz hit Dotson right at the end, like a buck 30 left. Jags were struggling the first half, and then they came back. And uh, But, yeah, Wentz too much uh, for the Jaguars. Yeah, that one hurt. And Baker battled to get me a push until Cade York from 58 yards crushed my heart. So I lost on the Panthers, and I've still got the Broncos Seahawks under tonight to try to go one and one. So nobody excelling. Luke Braun is in the cellar, and uh, I'm trying to tie up Arif and Luke with a win tonight. So that's where that's at. We'll have new bets on Thursday and an update on the bankroll. Let's end the show as we typically do with party fouls, and we start arbitrarily with Luke Braun. My party foul is going to go to Chandon Sullivan, who I think busted multiple coverages in this game. And I am pretty sure that I'm right about that because I tweeted about it and I know he saw it and he did not quote tweet me to tell me that I am wrong. <laughs> Someone had, had a better bad communicate. Chance. Don't know who. <laughs> That's the problem with name searching is once people know that you do it, the absence of a name search is informative. Uh, party foul. I'm going to go with Luke? the uh, half the NFL not being able to close out games. There was about five noon games that came down to the wire, including Houston and Indy. Neither of them could finish out that game. They ended in a tie to start their season. Evan McPherson had two chances to win and beat the Steelers at home. Steelers end up winning that one. And then there was a couple other games in there as well that just teams could not close other teams out. Jaguars, of course, we already mentioned that I lost my first bet on. Um, Got to close out games, guys. Who does that remind you of? (laughs) 
Uh, mine is related to what Luke said. It's just special teams, not just across the league, but uh, also extending into college. We know that college kickers can't do anything, but we saw a bad Wisconsin miss. We saw some bad Baylor-BYU misses. But here are the teams that also missed kicks uh, across the NFL. Uh, so we saw missed kicks from the New York Jets, from the L.A. Chargers, the Cincinnati Bengals. We saw missed kicks uh, from the Tennessee Titans. We saw missed kicks from the New Orleans Saints. We saw missed kicks from uh, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I said teams and not kickers because I think the reason Evan McPherson missed those kicks was because of an injury to their long snapper. They had to play their third string tight end as the long snapper, and that uh, resulted in disaster. Two missed kicks for the ever-reliable Evan McPherson um, so I, I don't want to put too much blame on the kickers when we don't always know what the kicking process was, but this is an unusually bad day uh, for kickers, something that will be reflected in the various Norse Code leagues as we log kicker misses pretty extensively for our fantasy uh, leagues, which I think Luke Braun knows intimately, right? That Did that go very poorly for you specifically? Yeah. Oh, did I forget to mention the Chicago Bears? Mm, a lot of missed kicks there. <laughs> Doink. Um, I didn't follow in full the uh, the Justin Reed saga, but it looks like he went one of two on extra points um, for the Chiefs and had an awesome kickoff, like an 80-yard kickoff as a, a backup for Harrison Butker. That's not a party foul. Good for him for, for making an extra Good. point in an NFL game. Okay. My party foul is uh, injuries. Ah. Uh. Hate him. And two plays into Andrew Booth's special teams career, he suffers one. Um, hamstring, I believe, was the the injury, and that's not a good injury to have. Type that could linger. And the knock on Andrew Booth Jr., or the red flag, is, you know, kind of chronic uh, injury issues. So uh, you're already down to now uh, a Caleb Evans as, you know, that next in line off the bench. You lose Booth. And apparently Evans is above Boyd in the pecking order. So your your cornerback four is now a fourth-round rookie. And props to Evans for being there, but that is probably a depth concern for the Vikings. So uh, injury to Scene, injury to Booth, not great for the Vikings rookies. I'm just curious, as I mentioned, I wonder if once Scene comes back, hopefully it sounds like he'll be back next week, um, you know, how much they try to get all three of those safeties on the field at the same time. And do they move Cam Bynum? Would it be outside corner or inside corner? I know you guys were covering the team a lot more than me at TCO during training camp. When they did have those three safety looks, was it just seen way in the box and then Bynum and Harry, kind of your two cover center fielders? Or did you see some Bynum actually inside at cornerback? I think that rotates. Not a lot, but I wouldn't pretend to say that I, I actually saw a lot of three safety looks. I mean, it was pretty sparingly that they actually revealed that. I don't know if, Arif, you, you saw more than I did, but I don't think we really know what it looks like yet. Um, there was a, yeah, a fourth down. It more down... appeared in camp practices than in the preseason or even in joint practices. Yeah. It was definitely something that appeared when the ones versus twos would show up. Who, who's the backup if Chandon were to miss reps I, right I now? I think it's Bynum. Honestly, I think, I think, it's, I think it's Bynum, yeah. I think so, yeah. I thought Bynum had a good game yesterday yeah. um i haven't seen the pff grades yet probably out here soon but uh, i gotta think he was in the top 
three, four, five defenders on that team yesterday. He was around a, a lot of plays in a, in a positive way. Um, I'd like to thank Dane Mazzatani for joining Pioneer Press, Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman, Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson. Arif Hassan covers the Vikings for The Athletic at Arif Hassan NFL and Luke Braun. Daily Locked on Vikings and the Locked on Vikings postcast with me. He's at Luke Braun NFL. Comment on this video. Let us know what you think about the Vikings' performance. Make sure you're subscribed to Locked on Sports Minnesota on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. We are free and available. It's endless Vikings talk with local experts Mondays and Thursdays. We will preview Philadelphia and talk about much more Vikings Packers on Thursday. On the Minnesota Football Party, I'm Sam Ekstrom. So long.